are you doing? I think my team is going to bring the stand out here in just a moment. But I am so glad to be here. I mean, I feel like I'm at home, you know, and I just want to set the record straight. If I wasn't doing Be The Bridge and God hadn't called me into this work, I would still be here on staff at this wonderful church. So I, I'm so grateful um, for the team here, for the community here. And just to come back, actually July made two years that I would have um, departed to do this work um, in Atlanta, um, leaving Austin. Um, July made two years, so I'm so grateful um, just to be here in July, you know? Caught the very tail end of it. And so as we, um, you know, tune into this message. I want you to know that we are family. I'm a part of your family. And this work is so messy. And it's so hard. It's uncomfortable. And so if you're feeling in this moment, if you're feeling a little uncomfortable, like just the mention of race makes you tense up, I want you to just take a deep breath. Come on, breathe with me. Breathe out. We can do this together. So just imagine. I'm the black girl on stage that got to talk about race, <laughs> okay? So that is uncomfortable. But we're gonna talk about reconciliation and so this is a beautiful word and this is a word as Christians that we should know and understand some of us in this room and if you don't understand this word, if this is not a part of your language, just think about the word restoration. You know, um, that, that everyone may flourish. We're going to make things right. That's, that's what this word truly means. And so things that were broken, we're going to make them right. And so I'm, I'm so glad to be here. And I want to say hello to all the campuses that are out there and those who are listening online. I want you to do the same thing. Take that deep breath and just let's go for it and let's um, do this together as a family here at Gateway. Um, one of the things that I'm excited is that it's two years. We started a lot of this work two years ago. This is a part of who Gateway is, you know? This, you know, because when you talk about being transformed, what it means to be transformed, and what it means to change the world, this is a part of the values here at Gateway. This is what you embody. So this right here goes, falls right in line with that. Because when we, talk about rest, when we talk about reconciliation and restoration, it takes us to be transformed in, in order to execute that, to, in order to walk that out. That's what it means. So this lines up with the values here. In 2016, one of the things that we started doing here at Gateway was doing a lot of work with the refugee community. Great. Gateway does some incredible work, and I'm just so glad that this work has continued. And one way this work has continued is that you guys just did um, I Belong series, this Belong series that you just did. Um, the campus at Pflugerville, they're now um, addressing the humanitarian cri crisis at the border. Um, they're down there serving and praying with people who are seeking asylum. And then you did um, a color beyond the book, Beyond Colorbond. There's some groups that you have set up in small groups, um, uh, some of your justice communities. You did Beyond Colorblind here. And so there's some wonderful things that are happening. This conversation isn't easy. And this is the thing. Some of you may say this has been a slow work. So some of you in here, you, you may feel like we need to put the brakes on. It's going too fast. I'm, I'm uncomfortable. But some of you in here is like, it's taking too long. I'm getting frustrated. I'm ready to bail. 
So there's different people that are in here, in this room, in how they approach this. But this work is not about checking a box. It's not about a series. It's not about me coming to speak. But it's about a lifestyle that you live. We are called to live reconciled lives. And then we're going to talk about what that looks like and what that means. And when we look at this, this lines up with the values and also in Matthew 25. And it says, for I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. And I was a stranger and you invited me into your home. I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick and you cared for me. I was in prison and you visited me. Then these righteous ones will reply, Lord, when did I ever see you hungry or feed and feed you? Are thirsty and give you something to drink? When did I ever see you sick and in prison and visit you? And the king will say, I tell you the truth. When you did it to the least of these brothers and sisters, you were doing it for me. And that's what this work is about. It's not about ourselves. It's about others. Loving the other well. So we live this life so that all may flourish, not just that you and your family flourish, but so that all may flourish. This is the message of Jesus is inclusive. And so those are the things we must remember. And see, because we know that all the things that are legal isn't always just. And all the things that are just isn't always legal. And I'm gonna give you an example here. For over 200 years in this country, the horrific institution of slavery was legal and it was sanctioned. It was a part of the culture of the country. Just because it was legal doesn't make it just. And then if we fast forward a little bit into our Reconstruction and Jim Crow era, those things were sanctioned by the Supreme Court. Those things were legal. My life didn't matter. I was considered three-fifths of a person. Those things were legal, but was it just? And so those are the questions we have to ask ourselves. And so when we think about, if we fast forward lynchings, and we're gonna talk about that a little bit, segregation in schools, some of you in here, you grew up in a segregated school. My father went to a segregated high school. That was a part of the culture of our country. It doesn't make it right. Because the same Bible we have now is the same Bible they had then. And so we can never make an excuse for that. It was a part of the culture, but it was wrong. And so the things that are legal are not always just. And even in death, in our churches, our churches were segregated. The only reason why we have African-American churches and Chinese churches and Korean churches and all these beautiful churches is because we were not permitted to worship in the predominantly white churches. That may have been legal, but was it just? And we think about the cemeteries, not even in death, were we permitted to be together. Colleges, neighborhoods, and we can go on and on. And I just want to paint that picture because if we see things happening, we need to think about just because it's legal, it doesn't mean that it's just. And as a part of the kingdom of God, because we belong together, because if I belong, you belong, we belong, we are connected. And we're supposed to represent the flourishing 
of all people. And we need to remember that. And this year, 2019, it marks 400 years since the first African Americans that were enslaved were brought to America in 1619. And this year, when I, when I think about that, I hold it in my heart in a sense. Like, my heart is full when I think about that because when I think about my history, I just came from um, Africa in, Jan- in June. And for the first time, my father came to Africa with me. This was like my fifth trip to Africa. And I think about the strength that I come from. I think about the brilliance that I come from. I think about the courage that I come from. So I stand here before you today as a survivor, as someone that survived the Atlantic slave trade because many thousands, millions did not make it. And not only that, I stand before you today from a, as an ancestor that survived slavery. I stand before you today where an ancestor survived Reconstruction and Jim Crow. I stand before you today as my family survived civil rights movement. So that's not mistaken. I stand before you today as the hope of my ancestors. And that's a powerful thing. I don't take this job lightly. This is hard work. You know, when I think about the trauma, the generational trauma, the suffering, the mourning, the lament, the restoration, the redemption, but also the prayer and the hope. I am the hope. I'm the manifestation of those prayers that were prayed for, that people prayed way before me. And having been to Rwanda, I looked at Rwanda, I took a group to Rwanda, um, the organization that I run, Be the Bridge. We went over there because Rwanda has embraced this concept and this process of reconciliation. In Rwanda, if you've never heard about it, they had a lot of tribalism, which was caused from colonialism. And so it turned one tribe against the other. So if we can make you fight each other, we can rule you. That's what that's about, you know? And so, but this has, has really festered for decades. And they started dehumanizing each other. And then to the point where the Hutu tribe began to murder the Tutsi tribe. And how they remember this and how they tell the truth about this is this, they call it the genocide of the Tutsi people. And you see, Rwanda, the unique thing about Rwanda was that it was a country that had 93% Christian. 93%, that's what I said, 93%. It was the most evangelized country on the continent. You see, this came with great you know, um, grief due to the loss of culture. And, then, and as missionaries went there, they only viewed Christianity to a, through a Western cultural lens. And we have to realize that Christianity was not birthed in Western culture. It was birthed in Eastern culture. And so we need to understand that. And so the strategy was to, you know, by the, through colonization was to divide and conquer and rule. You see, we like the benefits here in America. We like to talk about reconciliation without the sacrifice and the cost that it takes to lead us there. This work takes great sacrifice. 
I mean, I left a great job for it, right? You know? And so we have to think about this work takes great sacrifice. We should yearn for reconciliation because Christ died for us to be reconciled so that we can turn to God. And not only can we turn to God, but because of that, we can turn to one another. We must ask ourselves, and we have to be honest. I want you to think about this. I want you to just have a personal conversation with yourself right now, wherever you are. If you're listening to us at the other campus, I want you to have a personal conversation with yourself right now. Is this something that I desire? And we have to be honest. Because when things get hard and get difficult, it will come with loss. Are we really willing to make the sacrifice for it? And then if we don't, if we're saying, you know what, I don't really care about this, I'm going to be honest with myself. We're going to start in truth. And so if we're going to start in truth, we have to start with truth with ourselves. This is not something I think about. This is not something I yearn for. This is not something I desire. This is not something I understand. We have to be honest with ourselves. And in this space right now, if that is who you are, if that's what you're thinking, I want you to, to say, Lord, change me. Lord, change me because I understand that reconciliation is a part of the message of Jesus. And so if I desire Jesus, then I desire reconciliation. And then the next thing is like, if you desire this, what are we doing about it? You see, in Rwanda, they um, changed their language to create a vision around unity. And so there's this Kenyan Rwandan name called Umabuntu. And it means greatness of heart. It means humanity, goodness, generosity, kindness. Those who don't stand in complicity in the face of injustice. For those who risk their lives to rescue or to help those who were persecuted. They didn't stand by and watch. And so they created this because there were many who stood by that were complicit, they were silent while injustice was happening. So this is the truth that transforms us. And in Ephesians 6 and 14, I love the scripture, and it says, Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. And the one thing you know about armor, armor is... If you don't have the belt on, and some of us are like that, and I'm not like that, but if you don't have a belt on, your pants fall to the ground, right? Okay? So it's the thing that holds, it's the foundation that holds things in place. And so we have to understand the significance of that. And it says, set them apart, make them more like you, Father. Our belief system and our worldview should be developed by the word of God, not by the world. We mustn't conflict the two. There's a world system and there's a kingdom system. And what we have ingested a lot of times is this empire mentality, this world mentality, expecting the world to operate like the kingdom. In the upside down kingdom of God, the things that are just a lot of times are not legal. And the things that are legal may not be just. That's the upside down kingdom of God. Are we being shaped by God's word or by a bad interpretation that has that is driven by our self-centeredness. You see, this is where the Pharisees, we like to look at the Bible and we read it and we hear about the Pharisees and the Sadducees and we're like, uh-huh, look at them. I don't see how they had Jesus right before them. They were denied. I wouldn't do that. I would know. I would know the truth. 
Some of us, the truth is looking us right in the face and we, uh, we can't see it. Just like them. So we're not, we can't, we're not better than the, the Pharisees and the, the religious leaders. You see, they ended up with bad interpretation, with no heart or concern for the other. They weren't caring for the needs of the other. You see, truth unvarnished and unfiltered is essential to the work of healing, freedom, and reconciliation. You see, this is the truth that transforms us. We are called to be transformed. See, John 14 and 6 says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You see, Jesus embodies all truth. You see, biblical truth helps us understand that historical truth is imperative to reconciliation. Because some of you say, well, all these things that you're talking about, Tasha, that that was a long time ago. That has nothing to do with me. We're going to get there. But all these things that I'm talking about, they impacted my family. And so that generational trauma that my great-grandfather had to endure impacted my grandfather. And that generation of trauma that impacted my grandfather also impacted my mom. And that generational trauma that impacted my mom also impacts me. So this, this is not something far removed. And it's not to say we focus there, but it gives us an understanding of what's happening today. See, when it comes to historical truth, we're often okay with partial truth. If we're not starting from the same common memory when it comes to our history, it creates a barrier. America has intentionally erased, misinterpreted, and created new narratives for history. These are lies that are intended to mislead and generationally misrepresent history. You see, this is the truth that transforms us. You see, the truth is ethnicity reflects a unique aspect of God's image. We are a reflection of God, but we have been sold a lie of indifference and sameness. Not one tribe or ethnicity can reflect the totality of who God is. It takes every tribe and every nation to reflect who God is. See, God is at work in every culture, in every people group. God is at work in Bangladesh. God is at work in Mexico. God is at work in Brazil. God is at work in Germany. God is at work in Iraq. But for many of us, we just get to come alongside and join in the work that God is already doing. You see, when we begin to think of ourselves as better than another group or culture, we have placed ourselves as many gods and idols. You see, only God is supreme. Any supremacy outside of God is idolatry. And I'll say that again. Any supremacy outside of God is idolatry. So if we think that our skin color makes us superior to someone else, that's a heart condition that we have to check. And we have to be mindful of the stories and the narratives that we tell and that we create. And I want to talk about, you know, why it's important for us to start with truth. 
And when we think about that in our books here, when we're talking about starting with truth in our school books, they've changed the words. So I guess it makes people feel a little less shame, a little less guilt. But when, we not start, when we're not starting with truth, it's not leading us to reconciliation. And so in our school books, how we teach our kids is that, you know, slaves were workers. When I think of workers, workers get paid. And so that's a lie. So we don't want to start with teaching our children lies. And then one of the things in our Declaration of Independence, if we go and read that, and probably about seven lines down, we'll discover that natives are called savages still in our documents. Could you imagine being an indigenous person and looking at the documents of your country and you're still being called a savage? This is truth. And if we're going to move towards reconciliation, we have to start shifting some things. And this is the thing. I can't do anything about the world system, but I can proclaim this truth in God's kingdom right here. So we are called to be reconciled as Christians. And so when we think about this one, I, I want to take this moment and... Um, just think about even the native tribes, even as I say that, this land that we are on here in Austin, Texas, used to be that of the um, Tonqua tribe and also the Comanche tribe. And many of you, for the first time, you're probably hearing that you didn't know that. But that's something, that's a part of our history and our truth that we need to understand. You see, belief in the existence of absolute truth is foundational to our Christian faith as well as belief in a loving God who knows and reveals truth to us. And in Psalm 89, 14, it says, Righteousness and justice are the foundation of our throne. Unfailing love and truth walk before you as standards. See, the good news of the message of Jesus is that individual reconciliation with God is possible. Reconciliation with self is possible and reconciliation with communities and others is possible. Many Christians, we approach this conversation from varying truths because we don't have this common memory of history. The first truth we must understand is that God didn't create race. Let me say it again so everybody in the back can hear me. God didn't create race. And so some of you are thinking then, uh, uh, then case closed, and what are we talking about, right? You see, as we understand this, is that race is a social and political construct. And so it was built, it was a system that was created to lift some up and to bring some down. It doesn't mean that we are to take a colorblind approach, approach and say, I don't see color. I know what you're talking about when you say that, but listen, that's a lie. And we're starting with truth, right? You see me, right? I need you to see all this chocolate, right? <laughs> and so, and when, and when we say we don't see color, you're denying a part of me that God created. It's like you're erasing me. We don't have to judge a person by their color, but you need to see color. And we need to talk about it. It's not a bad word. I'm beautiful just like you, okay? And so we need to think about that. That's the conversation we have to teach to our children. 
We have to teach them that that's not a bad word when they recognize that. We have to teach them beautiful words when they're describing um, God's creation. We have to teach them that. You see, race was created as a way of asserting power and maintaining hierarchy. To pursue truth that leads us toward reconciliation, we must identify and agree together on the facts that God can't heal what we conceal. He can't heal what we conceal. And let me just tell you, in Scripture, in Zechariah 2.11, it says, Many nations will be joined with the Lord of that day and become my people. The word nation in this text becomes, is a Hebrew word for goy, meaning foreigners, people who are ethnically different from the Israelites. And then in Acts 13.47 and 52, it says, For so the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many was appointed, eternal life believed. And see, the Greek word for Gentiles in this scripture also means foreign or non-Jewish people group. This is where we get the word ethnic and ethnicity. And the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. You see, their unity, their solidarity brought oneness, not sameness. Their differences were highlighted and embraced. And it brought more people in to the family of God. As people of different, different ethnicities, we must share a common and heritage and memory. You see, this is the truth that transforms us. You see, we are reminded of who we are and whose we are through our salvation story. You see, Christ's sacrifice on Calvary connects us to the family of God, connects us to the eternally to one another. You see, our Christian faith is embodied by various communal acts. So when it comes to Christianity, we don't get amnesia in that sense because we do things like common prayer, communion, baptism, um, you know, Christmas, all those things we remember, we do in remembrance of the faith that we behold. And see, God's story intertwines us, it connects us. You see, not only do we have to share this foundational men, um, practices and, and faith, but we share and understand personal and ethnic stories. You see, to participate in the family of God alongside non-white people, the majority culture must acknowledge the perspectives of people of color. And the only way you're going to acknowledge those perspectives if you begin to listen. Those voices that are a majority have to listen to the historical narratives. We have to partner with people of color. You see, without the truth of racial justice, which calls us to confession and repentance, without it, we would continue to have this racial divide and this dissonance in our relationships. We have to sit close and up in person with someone. You see, but the thing that Jesus can do, he can take ashes and make them beautiful. But we must first recognize and acknowledge that there are ashes there. We must understand and educate and teach the generations about our shared past, beginning with this common memory of the atrocities that were committed against people of color in this country. If we are to be reconciled, we must begin with the full truth to recognize all the parts of our stories. This is the truth that transforms us. And scripture tells us in John 8, 3, it says, and we will know the truth and the truth will what? Make us free, set us free. We must start with truth. 
And I'm going to go through some historical things that, things that we don't learn in school, but things that have made a mark in our history that we need to know and we need to empathize and sit with and share with one another in this. The lynching era. In the lynching era, I just went to the um, lynching memorial in Montgomery, Alabama, and there's not one case that's documented in our country of the lynchings that happened. There are no documented reported cases. And Ida B. Wells, um, a historical researcher, um, documented a lot of the lynchings. Family members, I have a, a, a friend here who is from Austin that just found out that her great-grandfather was lynched. And that was a story that she was told by her grandfather that she didn't know. This is a story she just discovered. And there's a story named Mary Turner in Valdosta, Georgia. She was born in 1885 during the period of Reconstruction, only seven years after my grandmother was, my great-grandmother was born. My great-grandmother was with me until I was an adult. So this is not past history. This is recent history. She was lynched because she defended her husband, Hayes Turner, who had been lynched because of a a grievance that happened in their community and the way to create racial terror and to control and to um, um, maintain this hierarchy in our society, they did it through racial terror. And it wasn't just the KKK, it was citizens. They would do a lot of these at the church services and the people would leave church to come over and watch these lynchings. And so in this case with Mary Turner, she protested her husband being falsely accused and murdered with all these other black men in the community. She was with child, she had other children, she had two other children. Because of her protest, Mary Turner was murdered. And not only was she murdered, her, baby, her unborn baby was murdered. The baby was cut out and dismembered. And so we have to think about this is as painful as that is. When we erase that history, we erase the story, her history. We erase her children, her children that live on, her grandchildren that live on to this day that are carrying this pain without any recognition from the state. This should cause us to lament. You see, in the Bible, God deals with, in the Old Testament, Israel as a collective. But in the New Covenant, in the New Testament, God deals with the church as a collective. So if we are connected, if we belong together, if I belong, that means that the pains that I've endured requires empathy. It doesn't require us to erase it. You see, racism is not just bad for the oppressed. It's also bad for the oppressor. And see, this is the truth that transforms when we start recognizing systemic policies and systemic racism that has torn us apart. And just as the Israelites were called to remember and have this common memory of their history being brought out of Egypt, we're also called to see where God has brought us as a country and where we are today and understand that history, not to rewrite it, not to misinterpret it, not to dilute it, not to whitewash it. We have to tell the truth because we are connected. And one of the things that we need to remember is that in America, after the Slave Trade Act, that we breeded humans. A part of that is my history. 
the Indian Removal Act, where we took land from some and gave land to others. The Dred Scott case, where African-Americans were sanctioned and told that you could never be citizens of the United States. The 13th Amendment, which involved into slavery by another name and what we are impacted with today, mass incarceration. The 14th Amendment, granted citizenships and equal rights, but at the same time, we were breaking those same laws and we had instituted Jim Crow and school segregation. Plessy versus Ferguson. See, this is the truth that transforms us. You see, the work of reconciliation is hard. So some of us are sitting here and this is uncomfortable. This is painful. You see, truth requires us to listen and to unlearn these damaging stereotypes that we've been conditioned to in our society. You see, this work calls us to listen, to learn, and to lament. It calls us to confession. It calls us to repentance. It calls us to forgiveness. It calls us to justice. It calls us to restoration. It calls us to make things right, to repair what has been broken. You see, it beckons us into a conversation and relationships with people who look different from us. Um, you see, because just doing the work of diversity isn't reconciliation. That's empty work. As Christians, we are called to do much more. We should want much more. You see, the transform and reconciliation calls us to take a deep look at ourselves for the sake of the message of Jesus. It requires us to have a surrendered heart. It requires humility. It requires us listening and lifting up marginalized voices. It's painful. It's awkward. But we do this all for the glory of God so that all may flourish. You see, this is the truth that transforms. And scripture tells us in Matthew 6 and 10, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we think about this, if we don't like each other now, how do you think that's gonna change when we get to heaven? <laughs> See, we better get it right now. Because in scripture, in Revelation, it tells us that also as I looked and there behold was a multitude, not one could, not a multitude, not one could be count, counted for. For every nation, tribe, people, and language were present. So if we don't like to hear people speaking in another language that God gave them, then we may not like heaven. So we have to think about that. We need to reconcile those things now. You see, lament is vital to prayer and for the people of God. You see, lament is something where you're feeling right now, some of you are feeling like, what do I do with this? This is the thing, you're not in this alone. You have a church that's walking aside, beside you in this, that's leading you to be transformed so that you can change the world as you change yourself. You can't change the world when you're not changing your, the condition of your heart. And so that's a great thing. And so what we need to do when we, when we want to do something is we need to lament. We need to have great sorrow. And this is just having, you know, where we mourn aloud. Sometimes we don't know the words to say, but sometimes we just have to say, God, help us. I lament. I feel bad for this history. How do we move beyond this? How do we restore this? How do I fix this? How do we make it right? 
Those are the questions that we should be asking ourselves. And so what I want you to invite you into right now is I want us to lament together. If we could stand up all across this auditorium, if you're um, watching us online, you don't have to necessarily stand up, it may look a little awkward, but if you're at another campus, I want you to stand up. And I want us to connect hands, and my, my friend here, Rob, is gonna connect my hand, and, I, and, I, and I, I feel a little emotional even as we get ready to do this, because let me tell you, I had so much support at this church in the work that I was doing. And not only that, is that as I continue to do this work and I've been gone from here for two years, I see, I get messages from Rob and from different people just saying, I'm praying for you, I'm with you. We're continuing this. So I know that I'm not alone in this. You're not alone in this. You don't have to do this by yourself. The burden is too much for any of us to carry. And so I'm gonna read this and I want us to say, we lament. We acknowledge that we stood by when the dwellings of our neighbors were cast down and we ignored the cries of the innocent. Lord, have mercy. Lord, we acknowledge we have not learned to do right or to, do, to, do, to not seek restorative justice that benefits all. We have not defended the oppressed. We have not taken up the cause of the fatherless or pleaded the case of the widow. Instead, we have mocked and punished the poor with our partisanship and our apathy. Lord, have mercy. We lament that we stood by as systemic and institutionalized racism became founding pillars and structures in America and within the church. Lord, have mercy. We have allowed agendas of the empire to become prominent within our church. We understand that the empire aims to take and oppress. We have replaced your kingdom with an empire mentality. Lord, have mercy. We have formed and developed church structures and denominations while excluding voices from the global church due to racism and racial segregation. Lord, have mercy. We acknowledge that racial hierarchies and structures of privilege may have benefited, we have benefited from those. Many have been oppressed by, Lord, have mercy. We have ignored the cries of children because they were not our own. We have discounted the pain of mothers because they were not our own. We have turned a blind eye to the affliction of the brown and black men because they were not our own. Lord, have mercy. We have placed your supremacy with idolization of a nation and our racial identity. Lord, have mercy. We have not required justice. We have not loved others well, and we have not walked in humility in our brokenness. Lord, have mercy. Lord, we cry out to you, our God and our Redeemer, as we, only we can, because you can save us from ourselves. Show us our blind spots. Don't let us hide from your shame or from your guilt. Restore us to your per perfect union, that we may be found in Jesus Christ. Lord, show us how to do justice, love kindness, and walk humbly with you. Lord, have mercy. Jesus said, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Lord, with deep sorrow, we lament. May the grace of God, Jesus, be with us all. See, this is the truth that transforms us. This is how we live, transform lives so that we can change the world. In the powerful name of Jesus, let it be so. Amen.